Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the Eastern Border. The World Cup is over now, so I can get back to the darker side of things for, for a while now and get back to the news. For starters, our interview with John Michael Gaudier will come out in early January, since he decided that uh, he wants to finish the, this year on a brighter tone. So he's going to have Isaac Arthur on there and uh, some other scientists, and I'll be in the early January episode. And then we literally just yesterday, uh, I think yesterday or the day before that, oh, time just melts together, did an interview with Daniele Bolelli on his The Drunken Taoist podcast. By the way, do check out Daniele Bolelli's History on Fire. He's back out of the, you know, paywall, and he's now working on it. And on our next episode, which is going to be fully edited, you'll uh, hear his plug. But uh, still, you know, he's back, and we were on that show talking about our experiences in the war. But still, there's um, there's still this operational break. And uh, as Igor Girkin states... He doesn't really understand why why the Ukrainian side is not actively using their uh, their uh, strategic advantage in the initiative. I think they're preparing for an assault, and it's it's a bit more complex than that because you know low level fighting is happening all over the place, but there aren't there aren't major pushes for anything. I think Ukrainians are just you know very careful about not losing more men than they need, since. That would be a bad thing, because manpower is not an endless pool, after all. Meanwhile, I have some news for you, which are, well, I'll pick them up by the case of interestingness. I have some, I have some regular news, and then I have, then I have something by Moores, or König Tiger. This guy, if you remember, is one of the buddies of Igor Girkin. I, I've quoted him before. Uh, he basically is a guy that is super patriotic for the Donetsk and Luhansk People's Republics, so-called People's Republics. But he's one of those, you know, using KGB speak, useful idiots. He really, really wants Russia to win, and he's very pro-Russian, and he's a Girkin's buddy. So, um, yeah, he he really went on this time and wrote a huge-ass post about uh, how, how and why Russia basically has a lot of issues with everything. But we'll get to that later on, since I have some smaller news that I want to draw your attention to, since they sort of more or less describe the whole situation in Russia and their preparedness and their motivation level better than uh, anything else can do. First of all, job postings, see- seeking workers to build fortifications and dig trenches in the occupied parts of Ukraine's Zaporozhye and Luhansk regions, as well as in Russia's Belogorod region, have begun appearing on Russian social media and job sites. 
The postings offer work on a rotating basis with salaries between 89,000 rubles and 258,000 rubles, which is $1,380 per month to $4,000 per month. Uh, there's obviously high doubts about them being paid, but to that later. And, uh, quote, <clears throat> despite the higher-than-average wages, most of the ads do not include any worker requirements, including prior experience. The employers promise free accommodations, food, and transportation. End quote. Interestingly enough, most of the ads have been posted by the company Stroikom, which says on its site that it's responsible for building the Crimean Bridge, the Sochi Airport, a stadium in Nizhny Novgorod, and St. Petersburg's Lachta Center skyscraper. Now, the Telegram channel, Mozum Abisnitz, or We Can Explain, noted that Russian job review sites are full of negative comments from people who claim to have worked for Stroikom. In particular, reviewers claim that they were forced to live in army tents and that their salaries were delayed and not paid in full. One commenter stated that, quote, Don't be tempted to work for Stroikom LLC, no matter how much they pay you. Run away. Now, obviously, knowing the average salary levels in Russia, it's quite likely that these guys, who would be, you know, sent to dig trenches over there, yeah, they, they, they're probably going to get some their, their most Nagan rifles and a few ammo, and um, it's going to be more of a permanent posting over there. In other interesting events, Lieutenant Colonel Mikhail Fotin, the military com- commissar for the cities of Dmitrov, Taldom, and Dubna in the Moscow region, announced that in 2023, Russia plans to increase the term of mandatory military service to two years. Quote, Citizens called up in the spring will serve for a year and a half, and those called up in the fall of 2023 will serve for a full two years. Fotyan said on the air of the local television station Dimitrov TV, citing official information from the Moscow region's military enlistment office. The military commissar called the decision to increase the length of service quite logical, referring to the entry of Russia's northern neighbors into NATO. Quote, Accordingly, it will be necessary to make new formations and military units and to staff them not only with contract soldiers but with conscripts, he said. Shortly after media picked it up, it was deleted from YouTube. Journalist from the publication MSK1 reached Fotin for a comment on the segment, and he said, quote, I said a lot there. Everything depends on how it's shown. You can show the material you receive in different ways. Speaking to the publication of Baza, he added that the video is two years old, which makes no sense since two years ago there was no talk of Finland and Sweden even joining NATO, but uh, reality has never been an obstacle for Russian military officials. On December 17th, though, the Russian, military, the Russian Ministry of Defense, and lies, <clears throat> but that's added by me, posted a message on its Telegram channel signed by military commissar for the Moscow region, Alexei Astakhov, denying Fotin's announcement. Quote, At present, the Ministry of Defense is not considering any changes to the legal code of the Russian Federation considering changes to the length of military service by conscription, it said. Pavel Chikov, Head of the human rights group Agora believes that Fotyan's announcement about an increase in the length of service terms was intentional. Quote, Throwing around an increase in the length of mandatory service is meant to get conscripts to go to the enlistment office. Recruitment plans are on fire. He posted on Twitter. Which, you know, adds a bit of interest in, uh, in everything. But here I want to make a short break. See, remember the uh, United States guys whom I interviewed in Ukraine? Yeah, they uh, contacted me because, you know, they're still in some trouble. These guys are still missing $800 for two sets of ceramic plates for body armor. I really hope you can help them out. 
Their PayPal is boeingthumplives at gmail.com. I'll include that um, include that, that in the short, short description because, well, this is uh, quite crazy. But, you know, let's help them out. I'm quite, li- I'm quite happy that people actually contact me and this is a real chance to help out those in need who are doing the most work. So I sincerely hope that you will do so. Carrying on, because we have a lot to get through in this episode since, well, that was a bit of a break from the last one. Interestingly enough, the foreign agent stuff is now hurting a lot of organizations in Russia, even more than just journalists. Apparently, environmental organizations, as well as any organization even remotely related to LGBT rights, can now be instantly deemed to be um, foreign agent and, you know, basically destroyed. One of such organizations, Sakhalin Environmental Watch, will close after being named foreign agent. Now, Sakhalin, that's that's basically the, the part in the Far East that is directly above Japan. You know, the little little part over there. And just to show you what's what's being called the foreign agent here, they just announced that, you know, quote, we have labored for 27 years over the preservation of salmon and beers, bears, sorry, not beers, <laughs> it's a Freudian slip, I suppose, of salmon and bears, spawning rivers and taiga forests, killer whales and belugas, rare plants and disappearing hachos, hachos, it's a weird word, really. Some tiger animals, I suppose. Clean air and preserved territory. The green plantings of Yuzhno-Sakhalinsk and city forests. We brought court cases, surveyed rivers, intercepted poachers, and uncovered pollution, and sought punishment for violators. But now, someone above us has suddenly decided that we're foreign agents, that we're under foreign influence, and we, we're conducting political activities. Now, obviously, the group's activists say they categorically disagree with the Justice Ministry's decision, and uh, they say they have not broken any laws, but nobody cares about that in modern Russia. And, you know, they also state that they work only to ensure the ecological security of Russia and preserve its unique wild nature. But yeah, such organizations, well, of course they're going down. Which is interesting because the last time I spoke about them, well, yeah, that was in the context of, um, in the Pacific, the, the Russian military in one of these exercises and back in 2000. 20, I suppose it was 2020, maybe 2021, they managed to dump out accidentally so much chemicals in the rivers over there that a lot of Siberian rivers just turned red. And uh, the local surfers, because you might you might find it weird, but up there in the Pacific north of Russia, there's an active surfing community. Yeah, they do that, and apparently a lot of them managed to get chemical burns just by being near the ocean and, uh, you know, around around the, around the mile from the coast, which is about 1.6 kilometers, or, or, like, it was nearly 2 kilometers, like 1.8 kilometers or something, from, from the coast, that was all dead because of all this situation. Now, they're um, clearly, and obviously, very evil foreign agents who, you know, want nothing more than to receive that sweet, sweet CIA money. Obviously. But now, now we get to the Moors. I, it's going to be a pretty hard, because this post is super long, but um, the thing is, like I mentioned, he is a guy who repairs drones and and other electronics and organizes communications for the separatist republics. And he's been quite, quite well often quoted by, by Igor Girkin. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. 
Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. And he's also one of the guys who truly believes in this whole idea of Greater Russia. And in the sense, you know, he kind of personalizes the very fact that a lot of people in Russia no longer have a goal, and Girkin even says that on many of his posts, that no one in Russia knows what they're fighting for, except the fact that everything that the Russian government now says inside of Russia has turned into, we are fighting so that we don't go to Hague for our war crimes. And they obviously deny the war crimes, but it's kind of weird that, you know, you've started the war, which is a full-scale invasion, you've done a lot of harm, and now the only thing you can give to your society about why you're fighting this war, to the mobilized and everyone, is that so that some rich people who own villas in in, in Italy and other places, yeah, that you're supposed to die, so that some random dude on the television that probably lies most of the time, so that he wouldn't be off to the Hague. I guess, you know, that's a bit of a failure of Russian propaganda. However, you know, all this mood is post, or King Tiger, as he likes to call himself, and yeah, no surprise there that he likes to use such things over there, but he wrote a huge post, and it had a lot of swearing. And he went through all of the issues that Russian army currently has on the front lines. There was a lot of swearing involved, about as much as my Mat episode, the historical one, which I posted a long time ago. However, there were some certain very interesting problems that he noted too, because, you know, uh, I, I know a lot about Russian military problems, I know about the ineffectiveness and, and pakazucha of, of the Surovikin line, as they call it. You know, I mentioned it in the last episode, that they literally pack snow in their defensive uh, structures instead of sand because snow's easier to pack and you know they just have to show off but there are some very real problems here because for starters the sort of famine of artillery shells has not really gone anywhere that's the interesting part because you're not supposed to talk about it in russian media and Moses himself states that this is being you know hush hushed since people can go to prison for that and there will be no more medals but uh, Russians, being an innovative, in a very bizarre and strange way, bunch, have decided to solve their artillery shell issue, because they apparently lack them a lot, in a way that most of my veteran audience here will find extremely bizarre. You see, the Russian military is now taking great pride in showing in their propaganda videos, according to Moore's at least, because I really, you know, don't get all of the Russian TV myself, the fact that Russian tanks and tank pilots are now being trained and forced to use their tanks as though they were artillery. You know, they're being taught firing from, you know, horizon positions, from enclosed positions, which means that you basically, instead of using your tank turret to fire with other tanks and fire directly from your, let me remind you, uh, not rifle, just the smoothbore cannon, which, 
which basically fires at a speed of uh, 1700 to 1800 meters per second, although a howitzer apparently fires with a speed which is quite less than that. Yeah, they're being forced to use their tank ammo and their smoothbore tank guns to fire as if they were, they were artillery shells. Now, Moody states that, well, in battle you can't shoot like that and that's an emergency measure because you can do that technically, but this basically means that well, firing indirectly, uh, this this pro this shows well extreme amounts of inefficiency, and uh, I'm sorry, it's the Ukrainian people, uh, <clears throat> and that basically this destroys tank uh, tank turrets if they have to fire more and more. You know, it's so in it's so inaccurate that you have to use more uh, more shells fighting this way, and that destroys the tank uh, tank turrets, and the tank turrets can't be really changed right now because, uh, at least in the positions in Donetsk, where the People's Republic is concerned, they simply do not have enough tank turrets, and that this is so ineffective that it destroys tanks, it doesn't achieve anything as artillery, and that it destroys tank turrets, which would be better served doing their constant role. And apparently he knows that, you know, in a lot of cases, even in training, their, ta their tank turrets and their, their cannons were so scarce that a lot of trainees there are not even trained to shoot from their tank turrets because, you know, it's been so worn out that trying to fire it in training would mean to basically eradicate any of its combat usefulness. Interestingly enough, he also notes that, uh, well, quote, and the guns on the old... T-64, 7280 tanks, the old models of the 2A46 gun, they don't change without dismantling the turret. That is, we are now method methodically putting out of action the last surviving tanks of the People's Militia Corps, captured tanks, trophy tanks, captured in tolerable condition, and moved from so storage urgently driven to, the, driven to the front. He really co complains about that. And um, also, he claims that because of this, counter-battery fire is almost impossible over there, and it should cause a lot of problems during the winter, especially since when the snow falls in southern Ukraine, all the Russian artillery positions will just prove to be very vulnerable because they'll be easily spotted. Also of note is that because of how they're built, and even if they would be built properly, but they're not, this whole Surovikin line, the defensive positions Russia are building, are... Um, Totally and absolutely useless. And he's, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you the censored version. He's swearing all the time over there. And then he, of course, gets to his specialty, the, um, the communications. And he yells that, well, in these defensive positions that Russia are building, they are following the code of, you know, the Ustav, the code of the Russian military, the doctrine set. But they're not even, you know, they don't have... Wi-Fi communications, they have wired communication. Their communications are still analog and not digital. And, you know, where they can get wires from them, because the cables and all the wires and everything, yeah, in a lot of cases, the, the troops on the front lines on the Russian side have to get them, them to, have to find it somewhere themselves, because that's also a deficit. And where they can get them, they are, um, quote, and of course, these field lines are being laid in full accordance with the guidelines for laying temporary field lines. Somewhere just across the field, somewhere along the trees, somewhere along the poles. Temporary lines! In the projectors of the Cyclopean Fabergé line, as he calls Sorovikin line, for normal underground cable communications protected from shelling, you know, we couldn't find a place for that. They don't, they don't protect their communications lines at all. Which is, just, which is just super interesting. And then, 
then finally, which is an important part of, of, of his point here, is that um, Russian media is now also stating that um, apparently to improve the morale of everyone, which doesn't work, they're stating that Ukrainian defend pos defended positions can be sorted out by 57mm anti-aircraft guns. Which is stupid and can't be done, but, you know, Russian propaganda is still saying that. And that the Russian military, right now, is being forced to, um, you know, they've seen a lot of videos of Ukrainians using their Mavic drones to drop grenades. The problem is, the Russian army has a lot less spotter drones than the Ukrainian one. So now, some Russian genius general, whom we really should thank for existing, because what if someone smart, like Moors or, you know, Igor Girkin would take his position, they're being ordered to do the same. The problem is that, uh, you know, it's one thing to drop grenades in positions where it's possible, where your defensive line is stupid, where you have no communications, and Moors knows this, rather than on very prepared Ukrainian positions. So now that what happens is that a lot of generals in these armies are now forcing their troops to use drones in a manner where, which they're not trained for, which is not effective, and then robbing the artillery, which is already, you know, lacking, um, lacking ammunition, and now they're also, even more so, lacking any uh, spotting units. Moores ends with a terrible, terrible statement that he, if this continues, he can't believe, you know, he can't believe that without major changes, winter will pass easily because snow has not yet fallen in southern Ukraine, but it'll happen. And then, then he's truly afraid of the next Ukrainian offensive. And that he says that, well, in, if worst comes to worst, he will at least go out and, you know, grab his machine gun and see if any Ukrainian dies with him, because he apparently really hates Ukrainians, but he states that, you know, as with the government propaganda style, that everyone else will continue fighting until, you know, Russia will get decolonized, because he, for some reason, does not care about the well-being of people, as none of these Russian pro-war guys do. He cares only about the empire. And, well, I would pity him, but as he's the body of Igor Gerken, I kind of don't. So, it is what it is. At any rate... Like I mentioned on, again, Drunken Taoist, if you will listen to that, and I hope you will, I do believe that there's about, you know, there's a chance that maybe a next massive Ukrainian offensive could provide, could prove to be decisive. However, it's way more likely that um, this whole thing, this whole operation, war, will drag on for another eight to nine months, I, I believe. It's not going to be very simple, and it's not going to be pretty. However, we, of course, shall be following it very, very carefully. And that's about it for today. Of course, we're going to cover more news as they come. And if something meaningful happens on the front, we'll let you know. Please, again, donate to our buddies who need combat armor in the field. And also, if you want to support the show, well, you can become our patron at patreon.com slash eastern or just go to theeasternborder.com sorry, easternborder.lv and click the donate button there. But if you do, well, we'll be super thankful. We're planning our next trip to Ukraine and you know, every little bit helps. Trying to do our best here and keep you updated on the, all the latest information and the stuff that really matters. And as usual, remember, happiness is mandatory. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.